The second thing I'd love for you to do is for everybody just to look down at your watch right now and see that it's 11.15. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Um, I haven't been able to preach for three weeks. This is the last time I'm looking at my watch until I'm done with the sermon. So we're here, all right? Uh, you all men can start collecting the offerings. Thank you much. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Exodus chapter number three. Exodus chapter number three. Have you ever met somebody, been introduced to them, someone you didn't know, shaked hand, shook, uh, shook hands, exchanged handshakes with them, and carried on a conversation, and some, at some point in the middle of that conversation, you realized, I have no idea what their name is. You've met someone and, and got done with that conversation of speaking with them and you didn't want to admit you didn't know their name so you just shook their hand, said it was so nice to meet you, walked away and if anybody would have asked you who that person was, you would say, I have no earthly idea. How many of you have ever experienced that? All right. My guess is, this is just a guess, my guess is you've spoken to somebody this morning in this room and you don't know their name. Why do you think we don't ask what their name is? I think one reason we don't ask someone what their name is is because we don't want to admit we don't know who they are. And if I have to ask you, so what's your name? What I'm admitting is I don't know you very well. In Exodus chapter 3 today, we're going to see this great man named Moses that is going to lead the children of Israel is going to say to God, hey, uh, what's your name? What a surprise that a man like that would have to ask God what his name is. Now, to bring you up to speed, uh, it's been three weeks since I have preached, and it was a long time before that. We started on this journey through uh, the book of Exodus. We haven't gotten very far. The preacher is really slow. Um, but we are, we are working our way through Exodus, and we're in chapter 3. We're going to pick up in verse 7 in just a moment. But in the first six verses, Moses meets God at a burning bush. We find out that the angel of the Lord that's in the bush is actually Jesus Christ himself. Jesus tells Moses, take your shoes off, you're on holy ground, and he was on holy ground, not because that ground was holy, but because that's where the presence of God was. And just as a reminder, if you have the presence of God in you as a believer, everywhere you go becomes holy ground. Don't miss that. When God finally reveals himself to Moses a bit, he says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says this near the end of verse 6. And here's the last thing we read in verse 6. Moses hides his face, which is why I'm so excited to talk about the name of God because in verse number 7, we begin to see God reveal himself. Because in verse 6, it ends with Moses hiding from God at how verse 7 begins. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen. Ha! Moses hides. God says, I have seen. Now, 
I'm not, I'm not a Hebrew teacher, you know this, right? But I want to tell you, when in the verse behind me, when it says, I have surely seen in the Hebrew, the word seen is just repeated twice. God is making an emphasis that I have seen all of the affliction of my people. That's so important for us to understand because what we tend to do is we tend to do what Moses does. When we see something that we don't like, we turn away from it. God makes an emphasis to his people. I haven't missed it. In fact, he goes on and says, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. God not only sees, but he hears. And that's so important for us to understand as believers, we don't have a God who is sitting aside. And when things get honky in our life or wonky in our life, or I don't even know why I said the word honky. I I don't know where that came from. Excuse me. I have no idea. Maybe seeing Mackenzie over here, I was thinking of donkey. I'm not really sure. Uh, sorry, about. Did I say that out loud? Uh, I should keep those thoughts to myself. Uh, when things go sideways in our life, God doesn't say, uh, He sees it. He hears it. And then he says, I know. <laughs> you want to hear how this word connects It's an echo of Exodus. It actually flings all the way back to Genesis when God said, hey, there's this tree and this tree is called the knowledge of good and evil. And if you take it, you will know the difference between good and evil. But there's a greater connection too. In Genesis, we read that it says Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. That word know right there where God says, I know your sufferings is the same word that says God is aware. He has a knowledge of your sufferings, but he doesn't just sit up there saying, yeah, I know what you're going through. He is intimately involved in our sufferings. Wow, what a good bit of news for us to hear. It's... It's something that God, it's, it's so important to know that God is not just aware and has a knowledge, but that he, is, he sees, he hears, he's intimately involved in my suffering. And, and I say it's so important to know that because that is exact what God does when he knows everything about us is the exact opposite of what we would do. Because let's just go back and let's read this. I have seen the affliction. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. If you knew everything about the people coming to you for help, what would you do? Hightail and run. That's not what God does. Look at what he does. And I have come down to deliver them. Yes, that's our God. He he sees, he hears, he knows, and he acts, and his act is not, well, I'm going to stay up here in heaven and just kind of watch what you guys are doing, see if you make the right decision. Oh, 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 shouldn't be. No, no, he comes down. The angel of the Lord was standing there speaking to Moses out of a burning bush because God comes to deliver his people. And if that doesn't give us an echo into the New Testament of our Jesus, who sees with divine eyes, but also with human eyes, who hears with divine ears, but also with human ears, and who knows with a divine knowledge, but also it says he was tempted in every way like we were. 
our Jesus said, I know what you're going through. And I have come to deliver you. Because Jesus gets involved in our suffering. And that's good news. Because what he endured on the cross is what you and I deserved to endure ourselves. But he got himself involved. And when he suffered hell, and when he suffered the separation from the Father that he had never felt in an eternity of love and companionship, he was doing all of that because he gets involved in our sufferings and he comes to deliver us by saying, I will take your place. Oh, we're going to see as we go on through this story of Exodus how God doesn't just wait to send Jesus one day to be the one that bears the sins and the weight of our rebellion. Oh, God comes in the story of Exodus to bear our sins. It's really, I'm excited to share you about that. But he comes not just to deliver us, Notice what it continues to say. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, you see, you see what God is saying here is God is saying, I, I didn't just come down to save you and deliver you from the bondage you're in. I came to save you and deliver you and to bring you into a very good land. Oh, that's so awesome. God doesn't just save us and then say, all right, I'll, I'll do good from here. He says, I, I have a place for you. For, for the nation of Israel, their place was called the promised land. It was a land flowing with milk and honey. And, and, and I, I was, when I went to Israel, I was exposed to the Western understanding of a land with flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what, why, what I thought of was, you know, milk flowing down the, the hillsides and honey everywhere. But, but the, the milk and honey is simple. It's, it's, it's hillsides filled with goats because their goats were their source of milk. Hills filled with goats. And the honey was likely not honey of bumblebees like we know, but there were date trees that would fill the hillsides of Israel. And these dates, when they would process them, would produce a very sweet honey. So I was like, oh, so this, this gives you a whole new atmosphere. Like, I'm, I'm thinking of rivers, milk, and rivers of honey. And what God is saying, you're going to see hillsides filled with goats and hillsides filled with flowering trees that are bringing blossoms of abundance. Well, when, when we were in Israel, we stopped and we took, um, our, our guide gave us some crickets, some dead crickets, and some date honey at the place where he said John the Baptist used to live. And he said, we're going to just take this and we're going we're to see what John the Baptist, when it says he ate locust and honey, and the honey he gave us was not bumblebee honey. It was honey from dates. And explain that to us. I was like, this is so cool. And so God is saying, listen, I've got a place for you. But here's the thing. That place wasn't where they just go and did nothing. For them to have a land flowing with milk and honey, they had work to do. They had to go milk those goats. They had to go harvest those dates and process them. We don't look at Israel as our promised land. 
But God has saved us. What has he saved us to? What is the place that God has created for Christians to dwell? Guess what? You're in it. Ha! Not this building. No, 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 not this building. Kick the four walls out of here. Not the building. The church. The body of Christ. This is our place. How many Christians think they don't need the church? Well, that would be like an Israelite saying, you saved me from Egypt. I don't need to go to the promised land. And God says, but that's my place for you. And how many Christians say, well, you saved me, but I don't, I don't need the church. I, I'm fine on my own. No, 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 no. No, the body of Christ is where your place is. Because he saved you from but he saved you too. And we've got work to do. We've got work to do. This is not a place where we just come on Sunday morning, sit in the back, sing our song, shake some hands, and then go. No, 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 no. We have a work to accomplish because the people in Page County, they need to know where the place of refuge is. And it's not Mount Carmel. It's Jesus Christ. But if Mount Carmel doesn't go and tell them, they're not going to hear about Jesus. Oh, man, that's, that's why I think our service is so important. If you sit back there and someone were to say, what do you do for Christ? If your answer is, I go to church. You, you go to church? L listen, Paul does not say, if you want to get to know Christ, go to church. Because church is not the place you go to know Christ. Church is the place to come celebrate that we do know Christ. We don't come here to know him. We come here to celebrate that we do know him and we go out there with the news. Well, then how do I know him? How do I get to know Christ more? Paul says it very clearly in the book of Philippians. He says that I may know him. I want to read it for you. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. You want to get to know Christ? Find someone who's poor. Sacrificially give. Because then you know what you're going to do? Is you're going to expose yourself to how Christ gave to you when you were poor in spirit. You want to know Christ? Find someone without a home and give them a place in the family and you'll know how Christ went outside of the city of Jerusalem to bring those who were forgotten and who were left and who were rejected and he brought them into his family. That's how we get to know Christ. You want to get to know Christ? Sacrificially live on behalf of other people so that they can know the same Father that you do and the same Father that Christ brought you into communion with. The more you give of yourself to others, the more you will get to know the God who gave all of himself for you. 
You want to get to know God while living a very comfortable life? I don't know. Do you get to know Jesus? Did Jesus live a comfortable life? Is that how you get to know him? Making sure, forgive me, and I know I'm just, I'm just being facetious here. Making sure the pastor finishes on time so that you can do what you want to do today. Or do we suffer through a brutal uh, sermon that goes a little bit longer because that guy just wants to talk and talk and talk, right? No, we, we enter into the suffering of Christ so that we can know Christ, so that we can know the Father that he introduced us to. Just remember, as verse 8 tells us, he didn't just save us from he always saves us too he doesn't just empty us of our unrighteousness he fills us with his perfect righteousness he doesn't just cleanse us from our sins he covers us in his robes of holiness he doesn't just save us from slavery he gives us a place in the family that's good news that's our god always saving us from and to what god did for us is what God expects us to do for others. We were not saved to live how we want to live. We were saved to be his disciples and to make new disciples. How are you? How are you making disciples? That's our one call. Go. Win. Go, go baptize, teach them, make new disciples. I feel like this theme is repeated because in verse number nine, here's what we read. It says this, God's speaking to Moses and he says, now behold the cry of the people. We've already heard that. The cry of the people has come to me. I have seen, we've already heard that, seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. God says, I've seen it. I've heard it. Now Moses, hey, Moses, come because I said I'm coming down to deliver them. You know how I'm going to do that? I'm sending you. What, what, if, what if that's what Jesus is saying to this church? I have come to bring salvation to Page County, Virginia. Yes, we're so glad you have come to deliver people from their sins. How are you going to do it? Oh, you want to know? Come here. I'm sending you. But I've, I've got this and this and this. Oh, okay. We're really good at making excuses. What if Moses, what if Moses made excuses? I mean, Moses wouldn't make excuses, would he? Moses makes the same excuse that we do. Verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring this, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Let me pause right there because that's a great question. It's actually a very valid question because Moses tried 40 years ago in a way to come out and deliver the people and they didn't want anything to do with it. And now he spent 40 years. That means he's 80 years old. And all he's done for the last 40 years is to be a shepherd. Who am I? That's a very valid question. Who in the world, Lord, do you, why in the world would you come to me? Have you ever thought that? When God has asked you to do something, have you ever given him that excuse? And if you have, wonderful, wonderful. 
Wonderful. I'm glad you have done that because Moses does this and yet Moses begins to lean in on why God would want him. Why me? And when Moses begins to lean in on why God would want him, you know what God does? God doesn't say, well, let me, Moses, let me tell you about you. What God does is say, Moses, let me tell you about me. You lean into why God, well, God, why would you choose me? Hey, let's not talk about you. Let's talk about God. And as we start talking about God, guess who we're not talking about anymore? Because that's what the Lord says in verse number 12. He says, I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. He doesn't address who Moses is. He only addresses who he is. And he says, and by the way, God inserts his own echo. I think that's so cool. By the way, you're going to come back to this mountain. You're going to bring the people here. And you're going to serve me. I think this is so powerful. Because I think this is a dividing line for many people. When difficult times come in their life, Moses, remember, he had been rejected both by the Egyptians and by the Israelites. He runs to this place called Midian. And God says, I want you now. And he says, I've been rejected. I've, I've gone through these days of hard time. Everybody has left me. And God says, no, no, I brought you here because I want you to lead other people here. And I think there's a dividing line where many people say, the tragedy that God has allowed in my life is it for me. I'm done. When the whole purpose God allows us to go through tragedy is because God wants us to step into the lives of people who are going through the same thing and say, but let me show you where God has brought me. I know a very, very good Christian man whose dad took his life. When his dad took his life, there were three men in his church that began meeting with him weekly. And for almost a year, these three men met with this man whose dad took his life. As you can imagine how that would, that would mess with your thinking sometimes. And what these men continued to do is they said, let us help you because... Our dad took his life. And this man was surrounded by three Christian men. All of these men, their dad had made the choice to take his life. And what they were doing is they're saying, we want to walk with you. We want to weep with you. But we want to bring you to the place where God has brought us. And we have confidence in who we are and in who Christ is. And they wept with him. They explained the struggles that he would face, the questions he would ask himself in the, in the midnight hours. And they just kept pointing him to the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. And that man is such a solid, foundational Christian man because other men took the heartache in their life and they said, oh, we're going to bring other people to where God has brought us. I promise you, there is someone in this room that needs your words today before you leave. They need to hear an encouraging word from you. 
They need a hug from you. They need to know and be reminded that you are loving, that, that you love them and that God loves them. It's exactly what we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 where the God of all comfort comes to give us comfort so that we could comfort others in their time of affliction with the comfort that we have received from the God of all comfort. One last thing before we get into the name of God. Right here in verse number 12. When God says, but I will be. The word, the Hebrew word for I will be is aye. I think I put it up here. Let me see. Yeah, aye. Can you say that with me? Aye. Can you try that? Aye. It's, it's, I don't want to get into it real detailed, but it's how you pronounce the word aye. That's really important. We're going to come to that in just a second. Look at verse 13. Says, then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Now, this is interesting. Moses understands you're the God of our fathers. What's your name? Now, if you're asking someone what their name is, what are you revealing? You don't know it. When Moses comes to, to this burning bush, and this burning bush, this angel of the Lord that has told him what he's going to do, he looks into the, the eyes of this angel and he says, What is your name? Who do I tell the people sent me? Why would he ask this question? Well, let's remember, there was no Bible. Moses is the author of Genesis, right? So there's no Bible yet. It's been 400-some years since God told Abraham that, that his people would, would spend time in, in another place and then eventually return. So, so they have spent 400 years with just verbal speaking, but now they've spent a very long time in the land of Egypt. And the land of Egypt had many gods. And Joshua chapter 24 and Ezekiel chapter 20 tells us that the children of Israel, while they were in Egypt, worshipped the gods of Egypt. So Moses knows, I've got to go back and tell people who are worshipping the Egyptian gods. Some who no doubt also believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Which God do I tell them is sending me? But we, if we were to skip ahead just a bit in Exodus chapter 6, I'm going to put the verses up there. If you want to turn there, you can. But in Exodus chapter 6, verse number 2, what we're going to find is God revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in one way, but now he's coming to reveal himself to Moses in a completely different way. It says in verse 2, it says, God spoke to Moses. This is a couple chapters ahead. God spoke to Moses and said, I am the Lord. We're going to talk about what the word Lord means in just a moment. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty. In the Hebrew, that is El Shaddai. 
But by my name, the Lord, which we're going to talk about, by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. So, so God is telling Moses, hey, I know Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I appeared to them. I talked they knew me as El Shaddai, which is, which is a name, but it's more of a quality. I am almighty. That's not what I want to reveal to you. We want to know, like, what's his name then, right? But, but we got to stop and ask, well, wh why? If they already knew him as the almighty God, as the El Shaddai, why does he need a new name? I really believe that God wanted his people to know him because they were worshiping many gods. They wanted, they, he wanted his people to know him because he wanted his people to trust him. We will not trust God if we don't know him. But God wants us to trust him. I mean, that's what the whole New Testament is about. Believe and have faith and follow me. God wants us to trust him, which means he wants us to know him. So how does he make himself known? Verse 14. It's where it gets good. God said to Moses, I am who I am. I'm going to pause for a second. If you know anything about linguistics, which is the study of language, you never use a word to define itself. Like it doesn't do any good to say, what's a bear? Well, it's a brown animal that's a bear. It doesn't help you at all, right? And when God says, let me tell you who I am, he says, I am. I am who I am. And then he says, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Guess what the words I am, who I am, are in Hebrew. Aye, Ashur. Aye. You remember seeing Aye before? Well, what was what was that wording? I will be. I will be with you, Moses. Aye. I will be. Aye. And now we see Aye, Ashur, Aye, and God is saying, I am who I am, which means it can be translated, and, and depending on the, the translation you have in the Hebrew that you see, it could say, I am who I am. It could say, I will be who I will be. Be, or as one translator put it, Moses, do you want to know who I am? I am the God who will be with you. Whew. I am the God who will be with you. And what God is revealing to Moses by saying, I am who I am, is he's saying, I am eternally existent. And I am not dependent on anyone or anything for my existence. I always have been. I am now and I always will be. This is who I am. And Moses, 
that God is going to be with you. Now, now when God, when Moses, when, when God tells Moses this, notice, he switches from the I am and he switches it to just simply I am because what he's doing is he's condensing a phrase into a name. It's a very common Hebrew practice. For example, Jacob had 12 sons. His youngest son, you might know his name, but Jacob named his youngest son the son of my right hand. But we don't call him the son of my right hand. They took that phrase, the son of my right hand, and shortened it down to a word, a name. We know it as Benjamin. Benjamin means son of hand. But when Jacob named his son, he didn't just name him Benjamin. He named him the son of my right hand, but he gave him a name that would be easy to say. And so what God does is he says, Moses, let me tell you who I am. I am who I am. I will be who I will be. If you need a name for me, call me I am. And in the Hebrew, that word is Y-H-V-H. Hebrew does not have a W, although it's often pronounced with a W. Yahweh. Yahweh. The revealed name of God means I am. But if you look at that second column, the, the name of God, Yahweh, became so holy that the people refused to write it or to say it. So what do you call God? Well, they had this other word in Hebrew called Lord, meaning, meaning Lord, and it was Adonai. But he's not just Lord, he's Lord of Lords. And so how do we call Yahweh? You can't say his name. How do we call Yahweh? The Lord of Lords or the Lord of all. And so what they did is they took a mixture and they took the word Yahweh, Y-H-V-H, and then they took the vowels from Adonai. And they came up with a unique word that would describe the Hebrew God, Yahovah, Yahovah. In English, the translation of Yahovah is Jehovah. Which this is important for you to understand. It's not bad to use the name Jehovah, but that's not God's name. His name is Yahweh or Yahweh. We've added Adonai because Yahweh was so holy and came up with Yahovah or Jehovah. But what God says right here in Exodus, my name is Yahweh. In yet later years, the Old Testament would be translated into Greek and the name Ego Emi. I'm going to ask you to say that with me in just a second. Ego Emi. I know you're saying, Pastor, this isn't a school classroom. I know, but it gets so good in just a second, right? The Greek translation of Yahweh of I am is ego emi. Could you say that with me? Ego emi. I'm having you say that for a reason. Ego emi. One more time. Ready? Ego emi. That's the Greek translation of I am. But this word Yahweh 
is so unique. There is no other word in the Hebrew language that they could say, well, what does that word mean? It does not have an explanation. But this word is actually a combination of three Hebrew words. You're going to love this. These four letters, and, and Hebrew starts in the right and goes left, okay? These, these four letters are a combination of three Hebrew words. You'll never guess what these three Hebrew words are that make a combination for the I am. Hebrew for was, is, is to come. Watch this. The I am. You take the was and you combine it with the is. You combine the was and is with the will be and you have the I am. What? What? Yahweh! Yahweh! The I am means I was! I am. I will be. All together. We squish them all together and we come with Yahweh. And so when, when Moses is, when God is declaring himself to Moses, he's like, I am the I am. You go that way. You go that way. You go right here. I am. And that God will be with you. Man, how does Moses just now rush in and say, you guys, guess who's here? Guess who's with us? The I am. Yahweh. Yahweh is with us. Do you know who's with you? <laughs> Do you know who's with you? The I was, the I am, and the I will be. He's with you. And so when you say, but I can't. Oh, yes, you can. Because the I am will be with you. Just like he was with Moses. I was reading, I think, one of the coolest explanations. This Jewish, messianic Jewish rabbi. He said, we wonder, we have all these atheists saying, is there really a God? I don't ever see God. And he says, you know what? That's like the pieces of a Monopoly board saying, hey, do you believe in Parker? Parker, Parker. Yeah, on the board, it says right here, made by Parker Brothers. You know what? I've been around this board so many times. I've never seen Parker. He must not exist. Parker, his name, it actually says he created us. I, I have gone around that board. I have been to jail. I've been to Park Place. I've been to all the railroads. Never saw Parker once. There couldn't really be a Parker. I never saw him. And this rabbi, oh, he said it was so good. He said this. The, the, I'm sorry, the creator of the game did not create the game for his own existence. 
He created it for others to exist. When God created the world, he didn't make the world so he would have somewhere to be. He already was. He created the world so we would have somewhere to be. And then he goes on and he says this. When we look at the universe around us demanding to touch or to feel or to see the creator, we are looking in the wrong place. Those those little things will never see Parker when they go around the Monopoly board. That's not where Parker lives. He created the board. He doesn't live in the board. You can't treat Parker like he's one of the pieces. And he says, we are treating the creator as if he were one of us. <laughs> and what should happen is you should go, <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. That's exactly what Jesus did. The creator entered the creation. What? No, no, no. God sits outside of time, space, and matter. He's not bound by time, space, and matter. And yet our God, the creator, God, the one standing in the burning bush who said, you want to know who I am? My name is Yahweh. I am. He entered his creation. And in John chapter number eight, this group of people gathered around Jesus and said, who are you really? And he says, oh, you want to know who I am? Before Abraham was, ego imi. Before Abraham was, Yahweh. Before Abraham was, I am. Which means the dinky little pieces had somebody that became just like them for one reason because those dinky little pieces save themselves and so the I am shows up and says I have become like you because it was your only chance to be saved from your sin so I have become like you. The I am has come to dwell among his creation, which means if you put it in Monopoly, when you pass free parking, you got to see the creator. Oh my goodness. But you know what they did when Jesus made that declaration? They picked up stones to throw at him. They were longing to say, we want to know God. And God shows up among them and says, ego imi, Yahweh I am. And they said, no, you're not. And they pick up stones to throw them. And they didn't kill him with stones. So they caught him later under lies and arrest and crucifixion. And they killed. The creature killed the creator. The I am. 
goes to a cross. He dies. But they really didn't kill him. No. The I am laid his life down because it was the only way he could save his creation. John Stott says it this way, and I'm, I'm literally almost done. John Stott says it this way. The essence of sin is man substituting himself for God, while the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. Man asserts himself against God and puts himself where only God deserves to be. God sacrifices himself for man and puts himself where only man deserves to be. The I am hung where humanity should have hung because it was the only way humanity could find salvation. And the good news of the gospel is that the I am, he saw, he heard, and he knew everything about you. And he came down to deliver you and to make himself known to you for one reason, because he wants you to trust him. And your reaction and my reaction to sin, to the revelation that we have sin in our lives, it shows whether we get that the I am came for us or not. Because when we sin and we run from God and we sin and we run from the church, what we are showing is we do not understand why the I am became a piece of his creation. You see, when we sin... And that revealing of sin in our life comes. What should happen is it should force us to God saying, I didn't even know I was that bad. I didn't know I could do those things. I didn't know I was so rebellious. But you did and you came for me anyways. Oh, what a Savior. But we reveal, our sin is revealed and we hightail it the other way far away from him. God reveals himself to Yah- as Yahweh to Israel. Get it. Get it. I'm sorry. I'm done. But get it. I am. Hundreds of thousands. Some estimate millions. Moses goes running back to them and says, the I am. The one who was who is and who will be. He's with us. He is saving us and taking us to a place he's prepared for us. And of the hundreds of thousands or maybe millions of people that heard that too, make it. Two. Two make it to the promised land. Two. Two that heard the I am was with them too made it to the promised land do you know how many Christians understand God to be the I am and yet they don't care about the place that he has prepared for them in the church the I am We'll be with you. Sorry. Right. 
two men, when they came up against an immovable force of the Jericho giants, two men said, whoa, 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 wait, what do you say? What do you mean we can't? Do you know who's with us? The I am is with us. What do you mean we can't? Yes, we can. One else said, no, we can't. Hey, church, how many times have you said, no, I can't? With the I am standing right next to you saying, the I am will be with you. I can't. He wants you to have a promised land. Experience. You got to know the I am. As you know him, you trust him. As you trust him, you obey him. And then you disciple someone else to do the same. That's how this, that's how this county will change for Jesus. When people really believe God's with us and wherever we go, he's going to guide us. He's going to provide for us. He's going to protect us. And I will obey whatever he asks me to do. And I will teach other people to do the same. Who are you teaching to know, trust, and obey the I am? We need to be on that mission. Would you pray with me? Lord, my, <clears throat> Lord, I think of what, what my friend Jared told me yesterday. He said, you know that heaven, heaven gets really excited when, when we talk about the eternal existence of God because there are angels that are, there are angels that are circling the very throne of God and you know what words they're using? This is the God who was and is and is to come. When your church talks about the eternal existence of God tomorrow, you are entering the heavenly throne room with those angels and you are standing there looking at Yahweh saying, you are the I am. You are the one who was, who is, and is to come. And he said, you've got to know how excited heaven is going to be that your church is talking about the I am. Oh, church, I hope your heart is excited. 